Delightful, Little True Sons and Daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou. And after, well, just frankly, a wonderful Independence Day weekend, now it's July 6th, it's Monday, and I am back, as you are, to the cold, hard reality of a world with no team sports. Well, at least in America, right? Because, well, there is soccer going on, at least internationally. And you know what? I want to talk about that whole situation moving forward and maybe what it could teach us about team sports, specifically football, coming back this fall. But first, just putting aside my opinions for just a second on the whole COVID situation, what I think should happen Just reading the tea leaves, well, that's become a phrase I like to say a lot, doesn't it? Just reading the stitches on the fastball, there we go, there's something different. It sure seems like an all-SEC conference football schedule is seeming more and more likely because, well, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, it's much easier for those conferences to come together and make uniform rules about COVID testing and that type of deal. And frankly, if it costs a lot of money to implement, to test every single player every week, perhaps even every practice, I don't know. However prohibitively expensive that might be, clearly the trade-off is going to be worth it if you can still get that sweet, sweet ESPN money for the SEC network and all that other good stuff, all those other TV rights. Certainly the Big Ten, the Big 12, other conferences are thinking the exact same thing. And what I'm thinking is that makes all the sense in the world to me because there has to be a way for football to be played. This is too much of a big money situation, and especially as we've discussed before, the structure of big-time athletics being a nonprofit organization, an organization that sort of counterintuitively brings in millions and millions of dollars in revenue, like the Missouri Athletic Department, will bring in millions every year, and yet they save nothing. Because by being a nonprofit, they have to spend virtually every dollar that they bring in in order to still keep nonprofit status. And unfortunately for some of these smaller schools, these non-conference teams that Missouri has on the schedule, like say a central Missouri state, somebody like that, well, they're not going to be able to afford the types of testing, just widespread daily, possibly weekly testing that programs in the SEC can actually afford. They can actually justify that expense if that's the only way forward to play football this fall. And so with that reality, I just think we really are quite possibly looking at conference-only schedules. Now, my question would be, well, then how many games do you actually play? Do you play the same amount as you would have before? Do you still play eight conference games and none other than that? Are we just looking at an eight-game total schedule here? Well, perhaps. I, I think that's possible. I really do. Because, I don't know, logistically, also, too, are we going to move the, the season up four weeks? Is the, are we going to start the season with our first SEC opponent on September 1st, September 8th, whenever Missouri's first game is? I don't have it right in front of me. But regardless, 
there's a lot of logistical things that are a lot of questions, a lot of problems that are going to come up here. But I think ultimately, it sure makes a lot of sense to me that conference only actually solves more problems than a lot of the other proposed solutions really would. So I don't know, get, get on board and it's going to be weird because, you know, with no layup non-conference games, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking, Hey, six, seven wins would be okay for Eli Drinkwood's first season. You know, if you were optimist, like my frequent co-host Blake Stark, you might be thinking eight or nine wins even, but with an SEC-only schedule, it's going to be really tough to gauge, at least initially, just in our minds. Like, so what, is a three-win season going to be considered a victory now? Four wins obviously would be okay, four and four in the SEC. It's not going to sound very impressive, but we're just going to have to recalibrate our own gauges for success. Because, well, quite honestly, as the old saying goes, happiness is a function of realistic expectations. And by the way, speaking of expectations, Blake and myself certainly have heaped a lot of praise on future Missouri quarterback Tyler Macon out of East St. Louis. And, well, I'm glad that his expectations are fairly realistic as well because he said about his class of QBs, he's part of the Elite 11 camp, high school quarterback camp, and he said that those guys are living in a, quote, really weird time right now and and the only thing I thought was is yeah you're darn right it was good to hear from a 16 17 year old kid that has some perspective to realize that yeah everything that's happening right now is really bizarre and just for people his age I'm glad they at least realize that this isn't normal and hopefully that this time is this, this too shall pass as we like to say I don't know I just think about A lot of kids these days, kids who are seniors in high school, missing out on their prom, missing out on, you know, just simple rites of passage that even if they do have a socially distanced graduation, graduation ceremony or whatever it might be, again, it's just all very weird and awkward and just not in any way like it should be. And obviously throughout American history, there are times of, of war and various other difficulties that you know put a strain in your sort of fun times your good times but sometimes I feel like we're unnecessarily doing this to ourselves and you know what I am gonna talk more about the COVID thing and frankly I just want to compare what's happening over in Europe what's happening in the Bundesliga in Germany the English Premier Soccer League over in Britain Let's just see what's been happening over there because, well, they've been playing without fans for a few months now. So I want to talk about that and also possible future Mizzou player Kellen Thames. I have another thought on him as well. Brought him up earlier this week. But but first, I do want to hit rockauto.com because you see, so often in life, we're just grasping around in the dark, searching for answers. And frankly, that's what we're doing a lot right now during this COVID-19 period. We have a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers. So if you're like me and you're not an auto mechanic, you're not an auto expert, all you really want is somebody's expertise and for that person to not take advantage of your lack of knowledge and rip you off. Well, fortunately, over at rockauto.com, unlike a lot 
of those big box auto part distributors. They charge the same prices for people like me and you, as well as the same low prices that the mechanics get. It's all the same price. Unlike those big box retailers, rockauto.com is always the same price, always the same reliable prices for the same reliable parts. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box at checkout. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. I mentioned earlier last week, actually, not this week. Well, it's just Monday. How could it be this week? So, yes, last week I mentioned that Conzo Martin, the Missouri staff, appear to be kicking the tires on young Kellen Thames, who you probably guessed is the son of Kelly Thames, a, well, a pretty legendary Missouri basketball player, a guy who was just tremendous as a freshman, ended up tearing his knee famously as a sophomore in that dreaded upstairs Brewer Fieldhouse practice facility. I'm sorry, Hearn Center, not Brewer Fieldhouse. I was just thinking of the field house in the Hearn Center. That's what I was thinking of. Way too many, way too many floor burns in that particular place for me. But I digress. Back to Kellen Thames. You know, I got to say, he's really intriguing to me just as a prospect because, well, what can I say? I love a good late bloomer. Think Denario Alexander. He's kind of your ultimate Mizzou example of a late bloomer on the football field, but still. But really, Kellen kind of fits that mold, it looks like. He was a five foot nine guard when he entered high school. Well, he's now six foot five entering his junior year of high school, and he's not even 16 years old yet. So not only is he obviously shooting up in terms of height, but considering he's young, I- I'm guessing there's some quite a bit development more to go here. I think he's going to be bigger than 6'5". I think he'll be at least as tall as his old man, who I believe was, I don't know, 6'7", 6'8", something like that. So, hey, I like guys with guard skills who then just shoot up. Call, call me crazy. I think I think Lonzo Ball's brother, Lamelo is is nodding in agreement with me as I'm giving this take right now. But yeah, anytime you've got a guy who has those sort of guard skills, grew up as a guard, and then suddenly... I don't know, can spring into a lanky guy, maybe think of Michael Porter Jr. type. Not that Kellen Thames is going to be nearly that good, but you get the idea. So anyway, my point is keep an eye on Kellen Thames. I think his recruiting could really start to blow up here in the next season. This will be a big junior season for Kellen. Well, assuming, again, we actually have team sports. And with that said... Well, let's talk about team sports for a minute. Again, in America here, we have nothing. But over in Germany, well, they've had the Bundesliga going since about mid-May. And now I could make some snide soccer jokes here and do some Simpsons references like the old Entiz, you bet, that whole joke. But, But seriously, though, it's much more valuable, instead of for me to make my lame soccer jokes, to actually... Ask the obvious question here. How is soccer doing? How's the soccer world been doing in the last couple months? Well, not only Bundesliga in Germany, that started in mid-May, but the English Premiership, the British Soccer League, June 11th, well, I'm sorry, June 17th 
is when they've started. So obviously that's not as big of a sample. That's just a few weeks, but man, the Bundesliga has been now going for almost two months. That's a pretty good sample size. So what have we learned from this? Well, in most mainstream United States media, all you're really hearing about is a spike in cases, in in positive tests for COVID-19. Now, really all I'm trying to gather here is whether sports can happen in America this fall, especially college football specifically for this show, right? I'm not really worried about anything other than that for our purposes. But unfortunately, anytime you express any alternate thought that is outside of the sort of mainstream realm, almost all of that is now dubbed as a conspiracy theory. Well, what I'm about to give you is not a conspiracy theory. It's in fact easily verifiable data that you can you yourself can put into your Google machine right this second. And it'll bring up the charts that I'm looking at right now. Well, when you put in COVID deaths in Germany, you simply Google that and hit enter, you're going to get a chart. And what you'll see in this chart, and by the way, do the same thing with England, do the same thing with the United States. What you'll see is that in Germany and in England, deaths have continued to trend down after they spiked. Now, there is definitely a spike in COVID-related deaths in Germany and England, and in the United States. But that spike happened in late March to mid-April in Germany and England. Now, the United States, similarly, they actually have been trending down significantly in deaths as well. But theirs started trending down later, about May 6th. See, May 6th was the spike. That was the peak of COVID deaths in the United States so far, about 2,200 people. But now we're exactly two months later as we record this from that May 6th high. And again, look at that trend. Type it into your Google machine. COVID deaths in the United States, and you'll see that the trend is going down. So basically what I'm trying to say is clearly the opening of fanless soccer in Germany and England has not contributed to increased deaths. In fact, there's an opposite correlation. Ever since soccer opened up again, COVID deaths are trending downward. Now, am I suggesting that opening up soccer has caused COVID deaths to go down? No, not necessarily. Again, that's not, I'm not really trying to draw that conclusion. What I'm trying to figure out is can we safely have college football this season, especially with no fans? So let's make a direct comparison. I think just with that data alone, looking at the United States data, alone, I think it's clear that we can have college football with no fans. Now we're just getting into our argument of, okay, now if we're going to let some fans in, how many can we let in and how do we do it? Now, to me, that's a, that's a whole separate discussion for another day. And frankly, a discussion that's a little bit beyond my pay grade. I'm not a logistics guy as far as you know, security at a football game or large venues. And I'm certainly not an epidemiologist or anything like that. But what I do have is a strong sense of logic. And logically, it cannot be true that it's been bad for England or Germany to start playing fanless soccer. So if that's the case, 
if the United States is following a very similar trend of declining deaths, which it obviously is, then it should be okay for us to play college football too. That's my conspiracy theory anyway. Or as I like to call it, easily verifiable data. And frankly, if your only counter to what I've just said is, well, we just need to listen to the experts, okay, great. All that means is that you have nothing to add to the conversation. If that's the case, then be quiet. The adults are talking now. And frankly, the obsession with expertise is is, is also misguided. On so many topics, the experts disagree. This is very clear. How many topics do, do experts disagree on? Tons. Tons. And the political consensus is often terribly, terribly wrong. Just look at the the food pyramid. You want to look at net neutrality. Look at weapons of mass destruction from Iraq. I mean, the list goes on and on. You can come up with your own examples as well. Bottom line is there's no reason football shouldn't be played in this country this fall. But I will say a fanless sports experience does bring up some unique problems from a production perspective and Well, I want to touch on that and some other Mizzou-related thoughts coming right up. One thing I'd been thinking about for a while when it comes to this potentially fanless team sports experience that other people seem to be now catching on to as well is, wow, if if all these guys are going to be mic'd up, there's going to be, well, not that all the players are going to be mic'd up, but what I'm saying is, is there are going to be microphones on the court, as always, picking up ambient sounds, the sounds of sneakers and helmets colliding, shoulder pads, all that good stuff. Well, we're also probably going to be able to pick up some rather colorful language, too. A lot more so than usual. Don't get me wrong, the occasional F-bomb will sneak in and those type of deals onto a national broadcast. But... I got to say, I don't think America is totally ready for the type of language that you might hear on your typical snap on a college football field. And this just kind of brought to mind a couple funny stories that are Mizzou-related from my past that I thought you guys might find entertaining. You know, it just made me think back in the day, Clayton Baker. You guys remember Clayton Baker, a former Mizzou cornerback? mid-90s or so. Well, I just remember I was in eighth grade and I had just gotten braces on my teeth. And well, as you can imagine, chubby eighth grade John getting braces, I was going, boy, this is really going to help my social life a lot. So I was a little bit bummed out. So because of that, my mom and dad, nice enough, my mom at the time worked for the Tiger football team. Well, they took me to a live practice and Good old Clayton Baker. I think he might, I don't know if he was playing that day. He may have been sitting out practice. I just remember he came up behind me, gave me a big old hug from behind and was just messing around with me. Made me feel like the big man on campus for a second. So always will appreciate good old Clayton there. But anyway, what really stood out from that practice, just that was the only time I'd ever truly seen a live practice and standing basically right on the sidelines. I mean, you're never going to have closer access than young 12-year-old, 13-year-old John did that day. Now, I figured these guys would drop some colorful language. 
Uh, I just didn't realize what I, what shocked my young ears was the amount of in bombs that were dropped that day. And yes, in as in the N word, ladies and gentlemen. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't offended or anything because, well, I was old enough to have listened to some Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre at that point in my life. So I wasn't shocked that the word was said. I just didn't realize, oh, wow, they, they call each other this and say this. Like just in, with very obvious, obviously and loudly in front of their coaches and everything. And hey, it was all good. Nobody complained or anything. I was just, that opened my eyes a little bit. So I just thought, boy, it's going to be quite wild if, if that's still the case. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that isn't the case as much 25 years from now. But I imagine it's, there's some uh, similar language happening on the football field in 2020. Call me crazy. So all I'm saying is, Seven second delay? I don't know if that's going to cut it. We might need like a seven minute delay to get all the language out that happens on your typical football snap. So an an interesting production thing to watch. And really, my time at Mizzou, hanging out with, you know, my mom at the university, going to practices, hanging around some of the players at times, it did make you realize how there is differences for better or worse in races and how languages are treated. You know, I just was talking about the N-bombs, right? Well, going back even farther, further, I guess, a few years, when Doug Smith was on campus. Well, Doug was basically, you know, he was my hero, essentially, when I was seven, eight years old. Basically, all those guys were. But but Doug Smith, in particular, was somebody I looked up to. And I remember my mom explaining to me, the sensitivity, well, of the N-word. I didn't even really, I don't even know if I knew what that word was at the time, but it was just one of those deals where it was like, hey, you, you know Doug Smith's your hero, right? Yes, I, I, yes, he's my hero. Well, you know, Doug Smith's a good guy, right? Yeah, I think Doug Smith's a good guy. Well, if you ever called him that word, he would probably beat you up. And I was like, oh, what? Oh, okay. I, I get it now. I totally get it because... <laughs> As silly as it sounded for Doug Smith to potentially beat up an eight-year-old, that was kind of how my mom explained it to me because, well, I knew that Doug Smith wasn't some violent nutcase or whatever, so it made sense to me like, oh, if you said that word, it would make him sort of justifiably angry to the point where you would have to run for your life. (laughs) I don't know. Just an interesting way to explain stuff to children, right? But anyway, just a couple stories there at the end. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Locked on Mizzou. And certainly you should always enjoy more episodes of all types of podcasts on the Locked on Network, including Blake Lovell's Locked on the SEC. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Locked on Mizzou.